Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the podcast, The Reluctant Agilist for projectmanagement.com. I'd like to thank them as always for being a sponsor. And today is going to be sort of an exploration because there's a question I have and I don't know the answer to it. So I got two people that are smarter than me to help me try and figure it out. So I'd like to introduce them first. Dabble, Panchal, do you want to tell the folks a little bit about yourself and the fact that you have a website? Yes. My name is- <laughs> That's a running joke. Sorry. Yes, it's, this is Tawal Panchal. I am the founder of Evolve Agility, and you can find my website by going to evolveagility.com. That's the joke that they was referring to. I am also a certified Scrum trainer and certified enterprise coach, and I'm leading a certified Agile leadership workshop on December 12th in Houston area. So if you are interested, come join. Cool. All right. And Michael Tardif. I'm, oddly enough, Michael Tardif. I've been around uh, for long enough to have hung around with fabulous people like you and the fabulous Dobble. Uh, if someone wanted to visit my poorly maintained website, they'd go to feelingagile.com. And I'm a big fan of the Agile Fluency Project and its various options. You can go to them at agilefluency.org. And you work for Accenture. I do work for Solutions IQ, a unit. (laughs) That's our official title. I'm required to say that every time. Uh, All right. Well, well said. And uh, thank you guys for doing this. So the the question that I have, I was trying to figure out who I should ask about it. And I thought since every time I interview Dabble, things go in weird directions that are always really exciting. And Michael, every time we interview, it's like a boxing match. So I thought this would be great to throw this out to you guys. And the question is... Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to redirect you. So first of all, a huge thank you to you uh, (laughs) for pulling me and Michael together. I think (laughs) folks deserve a little bit of a history that Michael and I share for having worked closely together for a better part of five years. So we are almost like a couple that divorced, but still wants to hang out once in a while. So this talk needs to be viewed in that light, that we have a very long history of working together and very grateful to you, Dave, for pulling this together. <laughs> Thank you. And, oh my God, okay. I go would ahead. like to agree with Dabble for the first <laughs> time in quite some time. Uh, I feel that my time with Dabble was a fabulous privilege and I'm happy that there was no actual bloodshed. Uh, having said that, I learned a lot. Yes, we did come close. Okay. What Are you, you done hugging each other now? Can we get onto the okay, podcast? Okay, here we go. Hug, okay. hug. <laughs> All right. So this the, the reason that this topic came up is because I did a podcast with Mike Kottmeyer a few weeks ago, and we were referring to referencing this talk that Martin Fowler had given uh, last spring. And one of the things he talked about in the talk was about this post-agile kind of space that we're in now. And I was very thrown by that and started trying to look into what post-agile actually was. And I found all different kinds of explanations going back all the way to 2012. And I still don't know what it is. And you guys are really smart. So I thought I would throw the question out. So we've hopefully each looked some stuff up, or maybe we're just going to be figuring this out as we go. Um, but have you guys heard people refer to post-agile? I guess that's a good place to start. Well, I sure have. I'm going to have to find the cricket sound effects to put in there. Okay, you have. I was being polite letting Dow go first, but that's the last time. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I sure have because... Um, there's a there's a there's a fashion kind of uh, kind of approach here. Uh, okay, we've been doing this. What's next? I've been hearing that question since well, way before 2012. 
Because yeah. um, the thought is, if something was really cool, it's got to go out of style really quickly and not be enduring, you know, like art and fabulous creations. So, rightly so, people started criticizing, opposing, evaluating uh, the statement that was Agile not terribly long after it was well known. Okay, and Davo? Yeah, so, I mean, I... I have to say, I was not aware of the specific term called post-Agile. However, I did read Mark and Fowler's uh, Agile Australia keynote. Yeah, that I think was that, the top, yeah. yeah. And at the time uh, when I read the article, uh, I loved it. I'm, I've just opened it up on my uh, on my browser to kind of refresh my memory. But yep, I mean, this, this is a fantastic and a very relevant article. At the same time, I want to amplify what, what Michael just said with an example. Way back in 2007 in Seattle, or much earlier, Michael founded a, a meetup group, and it was called Beyond Agile. So this, this notion of there is something after Agile, or post-Agile, or beyond Agile, even my company name is Evolved Agility, as if there is some second state that we are all supposed to get to. So murmurs of something beyond what we just discovered called Agile have always existed. I feel like now there are so many people doing it that these chirps find like echo and they turn into big, 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 what do you call it, relevant movements. But everyone has been complaining about Agile since the first day it was created. Which I guess is a sign of its success. Like I did an interview with Jim Benson one time and he said that if, like for Kanban, for example, he said if that was really successful, it would basically destroy itself. It would make itself no longer necessary or relevant. Yeah. So when you hear people talk about it or when you guys think about it, what does it actually mean to you? Because I, when I was looking this stuff up, I had my own ideas about it and I found lots of different explanations. Right. And I'm trying to figure it out. Like, what does it actually mean? To me, what it means is, look, these folks said some stuff. Hey, they put a whole weekend into it. We all know they spent more time than that. Email exchanges, talking in person, evolving, refining. But then it was kind of a, a stake in the ground. And most people think, well, it was a good idea. It covered a lot of territory, but it's not the final idea. Uh, I wonder if we could uh, improve, increment, evolve, uh, develop. Oh, look, you left out this part. Um, make it better. But that's, um, that's what people do. I, I mean, we'd all have the exact same religion. We'd all have the exact same everything if people didn't use what came before and try to adapt and improve, extend it. So does that mean it doesn't work or that it's not enough? Well, I, I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to quote Esther Derby here for a moment. Wow. She was talking to me once. Dropping in the a, names. In that way she does. And she looked at me and said, when I was complaining that I couldn't find... Uh, uh, people who agreed with each other, she said, Michael, there's a reason they're called independent software consultants. <laughs> and uh, I've kept that in mind ever since because I'm, I'm just like a lot of other folks. I say, here's this influence, this influence, this influence, and here's my reading of the holy books. Okay. All right. That doesn't mean that the holy books were uninfluential. It just means they weren't the last one. So we need like a New Testament to Agile. <laughs> no, I, I think like coloring it in, the, in, in like a religious light is probably not the a right. A little bit inflammatory? 
I don't know inflammatory or not, but like in the sense, I mean, these are not the 12 commandments of any kind. I mean, these are just statements or principles that put a, a, a scaffolding around what was meant by agile at the time. Okay. And uh, I think what, what happened was down in the dungeons of the IT offices where developers were secretly conspiring to make projects a success while the rest of the waterfall and the middle management was conspiring for failure. Some people noticed that what they were doing was actually working and better. And eventually it got captured by folks into this thing called the Agile Manifesto and all the other approaches that came before it. What is unique is after the manifesto was written, no, uh, no significant development in the way we approach software has happened. Okay. Right, so what I mean by this is, yes, if I were to draw the fictional line 2001, before 2001, you had Scrum, you had extreme programming, you had Crystal feature-driven development, lean thinking, you had a DSTM, which was one of the parts of the Agile umbrella. And after that, a, as a body of uh, understanding or a viewpoint, a philosophical viewpoint on how to approach software development, the only significant thing that came out after that was Kanban, which tries to fight its battle with or within the Agile umbrella. You had Lean Startup, which focused a lot on the monetization of winning ideas and how to discover what is useful, what is not. I think the D school or the design school of thinking already existed for a very long time. So what has happened now is we've had a lot of new growth in product, what is a product space, but the fundamentals of engineering have moved into the developer folks being able to do good solid engineering work, which is where you will see the the Netflix of the world bring in continuous delivery capability. So does that mean that the way you're characterizing it is if I take the basics of Agile, whichever flavor I'm practicing and mix it with design thinking and lean startup, then that would be, I mean, I think we would all agree that's a more wholesome way of approaching work, but is that what you're kind of thinking of as post Agile? Um, Yes and no. I mean, what I'm what I'm thinking of post agile is that there is like there is no such thing as a post agile. I think that's what I'm. Okay, so they're just different ways of working, and you're finding better ways of getting things done. Right. It's like jigsaw puzzles, and people are putting these puzzles together. Like, but I don't think it's gonna like I don't know of any good way of saying this is a guaranteed silver bullet. You know. Okay. There's no such thing. I'm actually more curious about what Michael has to say. Well, uh, curiously, Michael is about to say that. Um, <laughs> and then I'm going to go after you. Okay. Th that seems fair. So whenever an idea has made an impact, and there's no doubt that agility has made an impact, Kanban has made an impact, name well-expressed and uh, widely discussed movements, you're going to find people who have varying reactions to them. Some reaction is, hey, that's pretty cool. Some reactions are what the hell? And some questions are, well, here's why that couldn't work. So the more popular something gets, the more some folk feel a need to uh, provide a counterweight, a counterbalance, yeah. and an anti. And I remember a very early Agile conference I went to that had a whole track called uh, YXP Can't Work. 
um, okay. I went to some of those sessions and they were cool because you find out stuff from a perspective you don't have access to when you hear someone saying uh, opposite of what you're saying. So I think the process of institutionalization that occurred over time with agility um, was bound to create those who were against the institution. Okay. I think now what we're trying, what we're at the, at the verge of is realizing, wow, this is an approach to doing work that differs from the assembly line, defined roles, don't leave your lane kind of approach. And that is more cooperative, creative, and which embraces the uncertainty that we live with all the time. Now that's not as cool a slogan as agile or anything else. Right. Um, which is why you have so many different expressions of it. I'm holding a modern agile sticker in my hand. Um, I, I just want to uh, upset Jim Benson here. Sorry, Jim. The more time I spend working with actual people who have actually tried to use various frameworks to get stuff done, the less essential difference in motivation approach I see between people who say are taking a Kanban view or a scrum view or pick your favorite, your favorite uh, framework in here, the more commonality I see. Okay. I see differences in focus, I see differences in emphasis, but I don't see fundamental uh, differences in worldview. Okay. I think we, I think we um, exaggerate those. If, if you, Dave, don't wear a blue shirt on blue shirt day, you stand out, but you're still, you're still the same guy, just not wearing the same shirt that day. And nobody really expected me to wear a blue shirt whenever no one did wear one anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So can I get, can I throw out my ideas now? Yeah. See what you guys think? No, but Yes, yes, please, Dave. Like Dabo would like to like to criticize. Go my ahead, Dabo, you go first, and then I'll go when you're done. No, 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 Dave, put yours in there. That way we can all, all right. criticize you. So when I started looking at this, I saw there's obviously the reaction against the dogmatic approach, and so that's one thing. So there's the people who say we have to be post agile because everybody's just being all weird about it and saying you have to do this, you have to do that. And I see tons of evidence of that. Like I was at a conference this September and people kept asking me, like, is it okay if we do this? Like, what if we do scrum wrong? That'll be bad. I'm like, it doesn't matter if you do it wrong. Does it work? Um, but there's that. And, and part of that I see is like, you know, modern agile or, or the stuff that Alistair is doing. Mm -hmm. That's an attempt to take it back to the basics. But the way I started looking at it was, okay, so there's all the people that are out on the bleeding edge, like you guys and, and all the other thought leaders that are creating new practices and complaining about the fact that there's gaps in what we're doing or the people's approach is flawed because of their intention or whatever. But there's all the companies that can't figure out how to even do that. Like all the companies, like all the digital agencies, all the people I talked to from those places who are trying to figure out how to jam something like Scrum into a, an environment that isn't really suited for it. And so there's other things that are calling themselves post-agile, which is basically just like Frankensteining this approach. And that led me down this path of thinking of postmodernism. And yeah. I'm wondering now if it's just, okay, we have agile, we have waterfall, we have all these other things, just get a sushi menu and pick the stuff you wanna do and see if it works when you put it together. And if that's the case, can the waterfall agile wars finally end? Wow. Davo? I mean, if, if you, no. If you if you go back into uh, the start for this conversation, which is Martin Fowler's talk about post agile, and, yeah. and, and the crux of is what he's basing the entire thing on is 
the second industrial revolution and the scientific method and Taylorism yeah, and this yeah. central belief that you need to have somebody who is smarter to actually tell the worker was compared to an ox uh, so that the worker could do their job effectively. Right. We keep going mm -hmm. back into that same model. And when you look at uh, what Hart of Agile and what Martin Fowler is talking about, is it is saying that if unless you actually have people doing the work, involved in learning while they're doing the work, uh, you will not be able to progress anything beyond where it exists today. And Does that mean that post-Agile is just bailing on Frederick Taylor? Because that's what Agile is, right? No, see, every every single movement since the end of Second World War, I think, like you look at theory X versus theory Y, which was a first attempt at separating from the Tayloristic worldview. The right. first attempt into saying, no, no, there is a, it's a slight incremental change There's in the some world. Some people that don't suck. Yeah, yeah, there are some people that don't suck. To the Agile Manifesto today saying that you the best uh, architecture and design and requirements emerge from self-organizing teams. Now, if you just take it as a literalist, you would say, wow, it's just saying any random group of people can come together and they will come up with the best answer, which is scary to a lot of people. And clearly not true all the time. Well, that is debatable because it really depends on who, what's your subject and object, right? So if I take five kindergarten students, the best they can come up with is through some self-organized means, which could be very different than what five uh, architectural engineers would come up with on their own. Okay. So, so there is an inherent uh, pillar of competency in the domain that you're working with, which if you say that the teams, given their competency, this is the best that they can produce, I see a strong value in that principle, right? But for organizations to innately absorb that principle and run with it and to actually make it possible, that's so far off. It's very rare to see it except in smaller teams today. So that, that takes me back to the thing of like, what we're talking about post-Agile, people are still trying to figure out how to do Agile. Yes. So why do we have to worry about post-Agile? See, this is why, like, you are so very a waterfall PMI guy, no? <laughs> <laughs> I wear that proudly. Yes, because you're assuming that something has to finish before you start the next thing. I mean, it's like ah. a buffet. You grab something, you don't like it, you go get something else. And you see this behavior. I mean, I saw, and there were coaching situations where me and Michael were together where we would go to a team and they'd say, we are going to do Kanban for two weeks. And then, no, we are going to do Scrum. And then two weeks later, we are going to do DevOps. So they keep changing their goal because every single element they pick forces them to change some way of their own behavior, which is much harder than going and getting a different flavor. Yeah. I'm going to pick up on what Davil said here because I've had a chance to think. And, and this might even be coherent. So let's start back with Taylorism, which was essentially at the in the in the early uh, decades of the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution required a certain kind of strong piping uh, of role definition that agricultural or other cooperative economies didn't require. Um, that strong typing then came into suitability for task. Uh, the the guys who could lift a lot of pigs into the railway cars, well, they couldn't right. possibly think of how to organize the work and the guys in nice suits who were, you know, thinkers, uncalloused hands 
they could look at management science and they could evaluate people's suitability for various roles. We continue that uh, all the way through uh, uh, the modern industrial period until we started realizing that there's, there's advantages to collaboration and cooperation. Now, right about that same time, we started founding companies where suddenly the rigidity in dress or in approach uh, started having some cracks. I started working around that time and I've, I've never worn a suit uh, or any kind of nice clothes to work, um, <laughs> except on the day you get fired. Um, I've never <laughs> called my boss, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. Um, I've never had um, a really strong list of you musts in my job because I was right at that cusp of changing. And technology just accelerated that process such that what Dobble knew brilliantly and uniquely five years ago is now what everyone knows, like, duh, of course we know that. So it accelerates that process of breaking down the old advantages of a long time thinking about something, a long time learning or apprenticing something. And now you've got kids who, and here's where I show how old I am, here you got kids who think they know everything and they just came out of school. But the advantage is that they do know a lot that's brand new. This has always been the case, otherwise consulting firms wouldn't be around. Why else would you pay a bunch of 25 years old, old who've never run a business, tell you how to run your business you've been running for 30 years? Yeah. We've always had that appreciation for new thinking. I think now we incorporate it into our approach to problem solving. And that, that thing that Dabble mentioned, um, statistically, you can mathematically prove that for a given arbitrary domain, where no one has uh, guaranteed knowledge, a group of people outperform individuals, right. given any arbitrary team or individual. Sure, I can find the genius who can blow away the team or other individuals. Sure, I can find a team that does unusually well in a certain thing, uh, but teams beat individuals. And so agility and the other approaches are based on that idea of the collective beating the individual, the uh, collection of roles or the collection of contributions beating the expertise or subject matter experts' limited point of view. Okay. So, so we're talking about modern. Modern means, okay, let's not just drop some of the roles. Let's not talk about roles. Let's talk about outcomes. Let's talk about collaboration and teaming. And let's not worry so much about whether you're the, you're the scrum master or not. But you, so you can say that, but I mean, in every single class that I teach, people want to know how they make sure people are accountable, how they make sure people are fully utilized. And it's not even always them asking the question. They're asking the question because they think somebody's going to ask them. So I agree with you, but I would say that the majority of the working world is still stuck in the Ford factory. I mean, am I, am I too negative about that? Am I too pessimistic? No, you no, you're right. And I'm gonna this is where I throw my tangent in, right? They yeah, I'm waiting because animals have been mentioned twice, so I figure there's a parable <laughs> coming in here somewhere. <laughs> no, not a parable. But I, I was reading this book uh called Five Thousand Years of Debt. And yes, love that book. Have you read it, Michael? Of course. Dave, oh, you know. no, I've never heard of it before. Oh, brilliant. So now <laughs> Davil's recommending a book to me. That never happens. <laughs> No, but in, in that, uh, oh, sorry. I was reading actually by the same author. There was a different book that recently came out. So 5,000 Years of Dead, definitely read it. 
but the other one was called Bullshit Jobs. And, mm -hmm. and it came about uh, from a manifesto or like an article that he wrote about the proliferation of BS jobs mm -hmm. and where he defines a BS job as a job where the person who himself is doing the job declares that his job is worthless, like his job is not really needed. But because he's in a position where, where that person gets some kind of way to pay mortgage and other stuff, they are, they are miserable and stuck in that position. Yes. Right. Now, if you look at some correlation, I don't know if there is correlation, but uh, Gallup's poll talks about people actively disengaged, uh, plus the study and the research that David Berber has published in Bullshit Jobs. All of this kind of leads me to believe that there is a huge portion of middle management that used to be technically really, really good, but because they needed or they wanted to or but ambitious to move into positions of higher responsibility, which by design separated you from the technicalities of doing your work. The further you stayed away from being technical, the more afraid you are to either go back to technology or to move further out. Yeah, you want to just, they become experts at keeping their jobs. Yes, I mean, they become experts at, at keeping the machinery stable, you see, where the People with the most brilliant ideas can claim credit at the at some layer, whereas all the labor is done by the people on another layer. And if it fails, you need someone or some group of people who are ready to apologize to the rest of the world about the failure. Okay. Right. I, I mean, part of it is essentially creating a buffer between. And, and separating se separating basically any skin in the game. So that goes back to the idea of creating safety then. Safety no, it, and desire to get better. No, no, it creates a safety, but not like it. What it means is you don't have people rising up and down the hierarchy of an organization fast enough. You will see okay. in, in most uh, organizations, uh, they, typically, these organizations also have a performance evaluation system of some kind. Right. And if you looked at any performance evaluation system, once you get into, let's say, the lower bands, for you to get to a higher band is exponentially difficult. But, right. if, but if you are at the higher band, it is exponentially easier for you to stay in the higher band. So what tends to happen is folks who move in and climb up the so-called corporate ladder they are experts at beating or, or making sure that they are successful in the performance evaluation system, which has Correct. nothing to do with uh, the ability to actually get the job done. Or deliver value to the customer or get to those outcomes that, that Michael mentioned a few minutes, a few minutes right. ago. Right. In fact, quite, quite a few people will start out with good intentions of like actually doing good work and everything. But then when they realize that actually speaking truth to power and everything else gets them into trouble, they will either disengage and pick up a fantastic hobby or, uh, no, I mean, they, people are talented. They find ways to use their talent. If not within nine to five, they probably find something else to do, you know? Right. To make up for the, the soul-sucking nightmare of their day jobs. Yeah, yeah, partly, yes, right? And the large agile industrial complex that, Martin Fowler talks about in his article is essentially geared up to 
give these people something to do. But isn't Martin Fowler also talking about the transformation companies? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're all part of the industrial complex, huh? Of course we are. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that we're part of the problem. The one difference is that um, we're awesome. most of us in some way believe that we're, that we're different. It's, okay. it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, yeah, those companies, they're industrial agile. But me and my colleagues, we, we're the ones who are enlightened and see it different. Yeah. Um, but but um, I want to talk about backlash for a bit. Whenever something's successful, there are uh, people, kind of like me, who feel a need to point out how what you perceive as successful is actually a failure. Right. And mo the most obvious example is Apple. Obviously, a failing company that makes no money or delivers value just <laughs> collects money from suckers because it turns out the world is filled with suckers. Right. Now, we're really upset that a company does well focusing on product uh, bottom line and all the things that our industrial corporations tell us to do. Um, I think, I think the, 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 the break between that old... Um, stay in your lane, do your job, and the, huh, I wonder where innovation, creativity, and um, getting rid of the bullshit comes from. I think the shift is we now no longer expect that someone who's new to a job, I'm not saying you're out of, out of school, I'm saying you're in a field you haven't spent time in before. Sure. People who are newcomers have insights that are as valid as the old timers. As it should be inspected with as open a mind as people who have become ossified and stable and experienced. Okay. We don't want to throw those people away because those people keep our world running and on a good foundation. But we do want to look around the corner to find where ideas can rise more quickly than, you, than old methods, which protected people at the higher levels. Okay. And in some ways, we've done made progress toward that in certain fields. But Dave, you're right. There, there are tons of jobs today where there's no chance of going anywhere ever. You know those stories about people who became Hollywood producers after working in the mailroom? Well, now the mail is outsourced to a company. Yeah, and you'll never got no chance anymore. But shift lead in, that, in the mailroom because there's no access to the, the environment you're working in. Okay. So if you're not in an environment, yeah. you can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. uh, today I was just talking to some managers and, and we were talking about how you've got a bunch of roles and those people have traditionally been evaluated according to their performance of their well-defined role. And I was cautioning them saying, well, if you're really serious about these changes you want to make, you're going to get a bunch of people who are driving outside their lanes, doing good and positive things, probably surprising you and maybe frightening you. And their expectation will be that you reward them for doing that instead of punish them for doing that. And so this discussion, which I'm sure you've all had too, is continuing. Why should I reward someone for doing what I didn't anticipate they would do or contribute what I didn't think they could contribute? And the answer is because that's where forward progress ideas and reduction of waste comes from. But to, to play the opposite right. side of that, you can't just have everybody running around acting like a maverick because we have to be run the company too. 
And you don't have everyone running around like a ma maverick because we're all smart enough to be really nice to the people who run our electric systems and plumbing and all those things that the world would fall apart if they weren't organized and regulated and had standard practices. Okay, so not everything needs to be agile. Um, I don't think it's useful okay. outside of areas where the unknown is your everyday work. Okay, so right. let me try to drag you guys back to the initial topic for a second because I have another question I want to throw at it, throw at it. Um, so we're talking about things. I mean, I think we all agree that we want people to be given the freedom to the autonomy to make good decisions. We want to give them what they need. We want to trust them. If I'm a, somebody in a PMO or a manager, like a, one of those middle managers at a company, and I've been given the directive of, you know, we need to go agile for management who maybe doesn't understand what that means. Now I start looking at different kinds of agile and I see, well, I got Scrum, I got Kanban, I got Safe, I got Less, I got Dad, I got whatever, whatever, whatever. But now there's this other thing called post-agile. If I really want to be on the edge, I'm going to go after that, but that's not even defined. So yeah, like, how do we give advice to those people to help them make a smart choice about, I mean, do, do you have to pick one because you got to go someplace to get something or like, what do we tell them? You see, like, uh, if, if you were not at the edge 10 years ago, 20 years ago, trying to ride the edge now is probably going to be detrimental to you or for your organization, right? Because if, if you did not keep up with all the movements and the way the industry itself evolved, if you now jump into something completely brand new, uh, how do you even have the basis of knowing whether it is worth investing your entire organization's energy into? What ends up happening is organizations pick something that they are familiar with, and hence, yeah. and hence the uh, huge, huge uh, hordes of people going to safe certification classes because yeah. it sells a very unique proposition. You can come here, you can become a safe agile leader. It'll take you four days, then you go back to your company and just follow the blueprint. I think people put more effort and research into what car they buy than they do in which flavor of agility they choose. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Um, yes. I, think, I think that they think that agility is, is like a short path to heaven, but a car is something you drive around and get admired for for your choice. Uh, and, 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 that, and that's just patently ridiculous. I want to pick yeah. up, David, on, on what you said about accountability. Love yeah. the word accountability. I hate that word. <laughs> is what I want to hold you to if I think right. you screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you, if you're doing really well, I don't need no accountability. But we are all accountable to each other in ways that are obvious and clear. And people, people are accountable to each other because they want to be. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and if you read Graeber's work, you'll see that. It, it, it's no surprise that he was a big guy in Occupy Wall Street which was a movement that really didn't have a hierarchy or uh, a well-stated philosophy and was founded on the ability of people of like intent to discover how they could do work. One reason was because this hadn't been done before. It was a, it's an unknown, and you always need to use these kinds of methods that Agile made popular to deal with the unknown. You can't use the known method to do it. 
But that's what people are comfortable with and familiar. I mean, I guess that's that's the fundamental problem is they have a way that they know to do things. Sure. And they're taking something that's that's confusing and chaotic and they don't totally understand. And, try, and it's a natural tendency to try to push it into the mold that they're familiar with. Sure. So let's go back 100 years. I want to talk to you about the post-horse world. <laughs> uh, because it's really different. I mean, there's no poop on the roads and uh, blacksmiths that are going out of business. Uh, the leading edge is these new things that break down and require completely different skills to maintain. Well, no one called it the post-horse because the new, the value of the new was plainly yes. people. And I believe that the value of the new uh, approach of collaboration and trust and valuing humans, not as units of fungible uh, function, but instead as full, unbroken, and useful uh, contributors to common element, I think that's the big change. And I think that the post people are just saying, yeah, change is happening. Um, and they're expressing their direction. Hey, Agile was a good first draft, but here's the second draft, or the third draft, or the fourth draft. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I would like to do sparkles on your analogy of the horse and the car and why. Did you say sparkles? Yeah, like miracles. He's waving his fingers. Yeah, he's giving me props. Man, hands. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, it's Diwali time. No, in a week or so, so I should remember fireworks. But yes, I have to say, uh, I totally agree with the. Po there, there can't be any post agile. You know, it, it has to be something that stands on its own and and completely unique. So there is, and that thing is not here yet. No, I mean a lot of pro what we call process is being automated. No, so yeah. like. If you look at like what used to happen earlier where you had entire IT departments, today's companies don't have back office IT departments. They've got some cloud thingy I hear. So the cloud. The cloud, right? The so cloud. so you have like <laughs> engineers who don't need to know a lot of skills, yet they can maintain a a, a small company's uh, IT infrastructure. Well, it's like the people that work in Starbucks. They don't have to know how to make coffee anymore. They just push a button. Exactly, right? You're right. They used to actually be baristas. I, now, I was one, and I'd go into Starbucks. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> now they're machine operators. And, yeah. And instead of greeting customers and engaging, uh, orders come out in a little printout when you're ordering ahead of time, and they just rush to fill all those orders and keep the people who are walking in happy. So, yeah, in the name of efficiency and speed and volume, we've dehumanized a job that really started out, started out as being social and human compared yeah. to other ways of doing it. Yep. It's not the only, only way to proceed, but it sure is a natural uh, option for people to go down. Okay. Mm -hmm. So do you think, I want to try to, because we should probably kind of wrap it up pretty soon, but do you think that at this point, is post-agile something that's even worth worrying about i mean for the people on the edge we, we kind of know people are going to complain about this piece is missing that piece is missing combine this and that do whatever works but for for folks that are just getting started with it do they need to worry about this conversation no i don't think so i mean especially not if you're part of the agile industrial complex okay who's looking at what the options are if you say, I'd like to be on the edge, go try sitting on a fence for a day and see how comfortable it is. 
um, people who are on the edge probably created the edge or are peering over the, over the edge into possible oblivion. And that's not a place that most of the world wants to be or should be. Yeah. Um, I think the reason that agility is both misused and useful in broad swaths of, of let's just say, Europe and North America, among other places, is because it's become something that emphasizes what's useful. And you don't want to say, well, let's forget what's useful. Let's go find out something that's really uncomfortable and, and unknown. Uh, right. Yep. And if you're a company that hasn't yet done anything about this sea change, yeah. Um, get someone you trust to spend time with before you go make your requests for make us do Scrum, make us do... Or buy us the software package. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Guys, this was really cool. Thank you for helping me talk through it. I know we didn't come up with a very definitive answer, but I think it was a really cool conversation, hopefully. But we did get guys to go look at David Graeber's debt the first 5,000 years and his uh, fabulous article on the phenomenon of bullshit jobs. Yeah, and and Dobble didn't say anything weird, which is awesome. I thought that was my weird piece, but that's okay. (laughs) All right, so Dobble, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can reach me at dhl. A-V-A-L dot P-A-N-C-H-A-L Panchal at EvolveAgility.com. Okay. And your Twitter? At the rate Evolve Agility. All right. And Michael, how can they get in touch with you? Well, the simplest way to remember is uh, through Twitter. I'm at M-J-T. That's Michael Juliet Tango. Just those three letters. <laughs> but if for some reason that doesn't float your boat, uh, the, a good thing to do is Michael at taoproductions.com i tend to answer about a third of my mail and yours could be in the lucky third and i was in the lucky third today so i am i am grateful for that yes you were (laughs) there's a special dave filter on my mail (laughs) it doesn't go straight into the trash cool guys thank you very much then mail and and i'll pay attention to you (laughs) cool all right guys thanks a lot thank you thanks so much nice to talk with you folks